you know, like I told Dean, I said, we're not going to celebrate the 100 years. Let's forget about that. Since we are talking about the renovation, let's stop. We will, we will celebrate the launching of the second 100. That's our ultimate goal, and I, we will achieve that. Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and you're listening to the Manhattan Sideways podcast. On today's episode, Betsy and I sit down with Stanley and Dean Pohl, owners of the Upper East Side gourmet food shop, William Pohl, and their store manager and chef, Anthony Walton. Before we jump into the interview, here's what Betsy bober Pollaby, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business. 2022 will be remembered for many important reasons, but can we add that this year, William Pohl will be officially marking their 100th anniversary. As a small family-owned gourmet shop on Lexington Avenue between 74th and 75th Street, this is quite the accomplishment and certainly deserves recognition. Socialites began shopping at William Pohl almost since the beginning with a roster of names that continues to spin heads. However, it is not due to the fact that Henry Kissinger, Jackie Kennedy Onassis, or even Tom Hanks have shopped here that keeps customers coming back. Without a single doubt, it is the amazing food that is prepared each day on the premises, as well as the warm and knowledgeable staff that serves their clientele. And I might add, the majority of this staff has been with William Pohl for decades. And this includes Stanley Pohl himself, the son of the founder. At age 83, he is there on a daily basis to greet people and to oversee the entire operation. Although not on a side street, Manhattan Sideways was honored to be asked if we would be the team to conduct an interview and create a podcast that would allow the Poles to share their century-old story. Gathered with us today is not only Stanley, but also his cousin, Dean Pohl, a new partner to the Lexington Avenue business, but a longtime owner of both the iconic Loeb Boathouse Restaurant in Central Park and Gallagher's Steakhouse on West 52nd Street. William Pohl is a quiet giant among small businesses in New York. They could have expanded numerous times throughout the years, but up until now, they have always chosen to stay true to who they were and who they continue to be, a family-run business that is 100% dedicated to their neighborhood. Thank you, Stanley, Dean, and Anthony, the delightful store manager who has been working with the family for years for allowing us to share your story with so many in our city and beyond. It's a pleasure, first of all, uh, thank you very much for having me here and for doing this, because uh, it really is a pleasure. And it's, it's actually uh, it's even more of, of a pleasure, it's an honor, since we are celebrating the 100th anniversary, um, it's an honor to be able to get our story across to people. The shop is very, very unique. 40, 50 years ago or so, uh, there may be five or six shops like this in New York, you know, that, we, that you consider true gourmet stores. But none of them made their own products, okay? I mean, they had salmon, had caviar and whatnot, and, but it was a really upscale, high-caliber place. And they've all gone by the wayside. We have survived. A lot of this is due, as I say, but it's, I have to give credit to both my mother and father, obviously. But when father had a lot of stuff in his store, on 70, I'm going back to 78th Street, which is 1957-58. There was a mixture of 
consumer goods, packaged goods, because he had milk there, he had um, bread, he had everything, all the convenience items, plus beer, but he also had imported items. He had, it was called from Germany, Gunsegrieben, which is actually goose fat. I mean, cholesterol, forget it. <laughs> they never thought about it then. But and they, they, would, they would heat that up, and it was like, it was like, a, like a crackling, like a pork crackling. And, you know, my father was, was very, very savvy. And he actually introduced a number of products here. Uh, he introduced the S&W line of um, vegetables, canned vegetables. And then he also had negotiated with, for a local farmers in New Jersey for eggs. Then he had eggs, bread, and coffee under the William Pole label. But he still had all these convenience items. Enter my mother into the store. She said, this has got to go. Can we speak about how they met and, and how that all came to be? Because I think it was a lovely love affair and her passion for William Pohl. <laughs> I'll give away the, my father's secrets now. Um, <laughs> my father, again, having been an immigrant here, he just kind of mixed in with the, uh, the Greek community there. So they all went to the same church. My father met my mother's family and um, you obviously met my mother. I, they started courting, I think she was 16 at the time. Okay, and he dated her for a while. And in the old true fashion, he went to her father and asked for permission to marry her. And I was a little hesitant at first. They loved my father, he was a wonderful man, you know, the church and whatnot. Um, there was an age difference, which 13 years, my father always fudged a bit. So they did get married, and they proceeded to have seven children while they had the store. So my mother was doing things at home for the store. Back in the early 50s, she actually had the first gourmet uh, frozen dinner. My mother used to make shish kebab, and it was great. It was, it was the first frozen dinner really made. I went, we're going back in the early 50s, and she started going down the store, and she said, you know, we're gonna make it a gourmet store. All these other items have gotta go. Everything out, everything out. And she did a terrific job there. And uh, my mother happened to be an excellent cook, excellent cook. Um, but she's from the old school where it's a little of this, a little of that. You know, really it's all done to taste. A little of this, a little of that, never any measurement. You couldn't get, you couldn't quantify anything. It's a little and a little of this and a little of that, that's it. And she'd been taught by, um, her mother, and plus she read a lot on cooking. She eventually wound up studying with James Beard, and she actually corrected him on a recipe once. And I, I met James Beard about three months prior to his death, and um, I introduced myself and said, an honor to meet him. And then I told him, I said, you know, you don't know me, I said, but you may remember my mother, because she was a pupil of yours that had the audacity to correct your recipe. And I was, all I got back was, I remember her well. <laughs> but she was correct. She was she was correct. So anyway, so she started with all these uh, the frozen dinners, and then got into dips. You know, it was incredible. I mean, she was just experimenting with so many things. Things it was incredible. Um, my mother was probably the original recyclist when it comes to food. Nothing got thrown out. There was always something you can do with it. It always got cooked, recooked. Package. She was fantastic in, in, the, in the kitchen, even at home. I mean, they would have entertainment every Sunday. 
okay, and and it sometimes went as high as 125, 150 people. Oh yeah, that was my mother's style. But anyway, so they, they did a marvelous job down the store, especially when they moved to 75th Street, the new store. That's when my mother said, okay, everything definitely is strictly gourmet now. You know, no, no nonsense. And she, she, was, she was still, my father ran the business, my mother ran the store, put it that way. So he did the operations, she said what went on. And, and she had seven children. Yeah, she did. She, she wanted to adopt more after that too, believe it or not, she did. We put up enough police, we, we begged her not to. Enough was enough, Mom. <laughs> but anyway, she, uh, she was a wonderful, wonderful mother. She really was. And getting back to the store, she, um, she, she really started revolutionizing the business. The name William Pohl became synonymous with quality. It was beyond just a label, you know, a label of coffee or a label of something. It was, you know, something that was made on the premises with the best ingredients possible. There was no compromise on quality. Either it's quality or it's out. No shortcuts there. Even though it was a, you know, a little of this and a little of that. Even the recipes are still written that. I think they're still written that way, aren't they? A little of this and a little of that. <laughs> she developed the the line of uh, soups, so we now have I think eighteen frozen soups, a complete line of dinners, the appetizers, the dips, the salads, and everything was done with love. And the potato chips. The potato thins, that's her, her last creation before her death. And what she had originally, though, was she had the Idaho potatoes, which were cut horizontally. So you had like a, a four-inch chip. And I, I, came, I said, Mom, that's great. They're really good. And they were very successful. I said, but you know what? I said, they're not sanitary in the sense that because if people start dipping, you've got, you take a bite, you can't dip again. So let's go to a smaller cut. So, you know, we, we graduated with that. And then with that led to, I said, I'm gonna start taking these wholesale. They were selling so well. We actually got the potato thins into 400 stores at one point. But that was the, the we were doing, producing them uh, off-site. And it was very, very tough, you know, because uh, absentee management, I mean, I'd go there sometimes one, two o'clock in the morning just to see how things were going. Uh, but I couldn't do that every day. And it just, it got to be a little too unwieldy. So we pulled back. And we said, we'll take it up another time. But in the meantime, she continued to develop the products. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been phenomenal growth. Now everything is made on premises? Everything is made on premises, unless it's packaged goods, you know. But otherwise, everything is made in the store. Stanley, you had gone in a different direction at some point in your life and then came back to the business. Can you elaborate on that? Okay. I was in, uh, I was in marketing and advertising and I left I, my finished my last uh, stint in advertising was vice president international at gray advertising and I did I had a great time there it was, I, it was very very successful and they uh, offered me the option to go to Brussels move to Brussels which I did not like and I said you know at the same time my father had talked to me about wanting to perpetuate the business it'd be nice to keep if we can keep this going so I, I thought it over, you know, I, I, I did consulting for about a, one and a half years, and then um, I went down to the store. And I worked, I, I started from the ground up again, literally, again, with my father, you know, put me down, put me where you want me, and I'll start with, say, if it's slicing bread, whatever, making sandwiches, so I, I'll, I'll get all the basics, but I'm getting it under my father's guidance. 
which is what I wanted, which I did for a while. And then um, eventually, you know, it got to the point where I could take over the store by myself, run the store by myself. He had, he had enough faith and trust in me. And because uh, business was going very well. My younger brother, James, had uh, moved up from North Carolina. And he actually, he said, I'm going to come and help you for the holidays. The holidays lasted about 20 years. <laughs> he was phenomenal. I mean, he, uh, he, he, was, um, he was probably the most diplomatic guy in the world. I mean, he sat at the table up front. He knew every customer by name, your history. He greeted them, not only greeted them, but I mean, it's, he, uh, if, if you were an out-of-towner, he gave you an itinerary of what you're going to spend your week doing. He gave you his, his museum cards. You know, he gave you the passes for this, passes for that. I mean, it was incredible. And you'd see him out in the street with meringues or brownies, you know. He, he was always always involved with people. We used to call him the mayor of Lexington Avenue. And he was, he was a, a great asset to the business. And unfortunately, he passed away, which was very sad. But, um, you know, he had, he had a great passion and love for food as well. Dean, we would love to let you share the history of your family and how you are related, Stanley and Anthony. My grandfather is his uncle. uncle. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was Stanley's father's brother, Angelos Pole, okay? And mm -hmm. he, he took over. The place used to be called Mark's. My grandfather had a uh, store at 42nd Street and 10th Avenue. And one of his purveyors told him about this guy, Mark's, at a store that had house accounts. And my grandfather spoke French, spoke English, spoke Greek. And uh, mm -hmm. so he ended up buying that store. Uh, Stanley's, Stanley's father came a few years later uh, from Greece. And, uh, and, there and they ran marks together. Well, it became, it came, became a pole. In 1932, my grandfather tragically got killed while delivering coffee out in Long Island. And my father, and was 12 years old and his sister was 11 with an immigrant mother and they didn't have the withhold to be able to continue with the store at which point uh, Uncle Bill, Stanley's father, uh, took over the store and I believe it was in 1939 where the store became uh, William Pohl from the name that my grandfather had was called A. Pohl. Uh, and that was the extent that my side of the family had at the, at the store. Stanley's father, as I said, was my grandfather's brother. So Stanley and I are cousins. And I, for many years, visited the store. And Uncle Bill would, first thing he would ask me is, uh, would you like a sandwich? And I always uh, said yes. We always looked forward to a salmon sandwich or a roast beef sandwich. And uh, Uncle Bill was a very, very special guy. Uh, Aunt Christina was there with him. And uh, so the name William Pohl has been a, a fixture of uh, Lexington Avenue, the Upper East Side, for as many years. And it's a recent development that you have joined William Pohl and partnering with Stanley, if I'm saying that correctly. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Well, several years ago, uh, I had asked Stanley if I could get involved. I uh, had a restaurant on Long Island with my brothers, and then I got the boathouse in Central Park in 2000. And so I was coming to the city every day and, and visiting the store more often. Uh, and um, 
two years ago. Uh, actually, it was, it was during COVID, and Stanley was a early person with COVID, and was out of the store for several weeks. And I think perhaps Stanley was at the time that you said, you know, maybe we, we should have a succession. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, year, a little over a year ago, a little over two, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I did, and I, I promised Stanley that uh, I would, he's going to still be there and run the store, which he is. Uh, we brought Anthony Walton in to be the manager of the store. Uh, Anthony's a chef, and, uh, but he's continuing with the recipes that Aunt Christina had made and making other things as well, which would have been very well received. Dean, can I ask if your experience as a child going to William Pole influenced you at all in going into the restaurant business? I think it influenced my father more. Mm. Uh, my father was in the shipping business, and there was a, a drought in shipping at a period of time. He had three kids in a house in Manhasset, and uh, so, I guess like every good Greek at that time, he went to the restaurant business. So it was because of the William Pole, not that my father ever ran it, but it's because of the background of food uh, that my father chose to uh, pursue restaurants and he had found someone that was uh, going to show him the business. But he did, he did in fact tell me that it was because of the association with the store. And that's what it was always referred to, it was always the store. To this day, my mother says, are you going to the store? Uh, it's not William Pole, it's not, the, we don't call the restaurant a restaurant, we call the restaurant a store, and we call William Pole's the store. Um, so, I, I will tell you this, living in Long Island, it was always, always a treat to go to the store. And um, we never left the store without uh, Uncle Bill or Aunt Christina uh, making a care package for us to bring home of, of whether it were then and are today very special things. You shared a few fun stories with me, and I, what, whichever ones you would like to tell again. First of all, is it Annie Fanny or Fanny Annie? Oh, um, your lovely wife. <laughs> Annie was, as my wife, she was, she was great. She was, uh, she came again to help during the holidays, uh, nineteen eighty-three. Uh, lasted twenty somewhat years. <laughs> Behind the counter, she was loved by everybody. Because the customers loved her. she and Jimmy had the identical personality like that. Uh, they loved people. They knew everything, you know, and, and what was going on in town. Uh, and Annie was very good with, with uh, especially with um, customers on Park Avenue and Fifth Avenue, who was going out with whom and whatnot. You know, she was really phenomenal. She she gave relations. When you walked in, she had your order already on, on the, at the table. The guys have already been instructed what to do. In the meantime, you're just having a social conversation. That's, that's the way she was. She was she was great. We we've had a lot of fun down that store. It's it's been uh, we we've met some very very interesting people. I would say ninety nine percent of the people are really wonderful to deal with. They are they really are. Some of them are exceptionally great. Uh, and we've had we've had some fun times. I mean I I had one situation I'll never forget. Uh, we we're doing a catering. It's about twenty years ago, 20, 25 years ago. It was a brunch catering on a Sunday. We needed a waitress. We had made arrangements for a waitress, and all the foods were being prepped on Saturday. So Sunday, I went down to the store with Annie to get the uh, food ready, and it's 11:30. I get 11:25. I get a phone call from the hostess, and she's having a bird. She was furious. I said, "What's, what's the problem?" She said, well, I, "I don't like the waitress." I said, what, "What's wrong with the waitress?" 
I don't like what she's wearing. I said, she went out and bought, she spent, I think it was $500 at Ralph Lauren to get a white outfit, white pantsuit. What is wrong with it? She said, well, I just don't like it. I said, it's 11.30 and your lunch is in a half an hour. I, I, can't, I can't substitute. She said, well, I, I really, no, I, you've got to do something. I said, well, all right, you know what? Your choice is either take, you take her or you take me. I've got a pair, of, I've got my sneakers and my khakis on, okay? It was Sophia Loren, who was the, the, the guest of honor. <laughs> she was so unbelievably sweet, it was incredible. And it, it, it was, it, you know, I, I did the serving with the khakis and, and the sneakers and whatnot. And she was just as gracious as the world, as the day is long. It was unbelievable. And she even, she even insisted we take photos afterwards. She went into the kitchen to thank Annie because Annie was helping in the kitchen. And they, they told me that when she goes to a restaurant, um, if she likes the food, she goes into the kitchen. She thanks the chef, the waiters, everybody. She never leaves. She never, besides the waiters at the, at the table, she goes into the kitchen and lets everybody know that the food was exceptional. So we've had some great times like that. Oh, Yul Brenner, that's the story. Henry Fonda lived in the first townhouse off the corner of 74th and 3rd. It, it, he owned it, right? And he either rented it or loaned it to Yul Brenner. And Yul Brenner would come in on a Saturday morning and he'd look around, make sure the store was empty. There was no customers, nine o'clock in the morning. And then my father would be up in the balcony and he'd start singing to my father. He, with that beautiful, the very, very that, that baritone voice, that good morning, Mr. Paul. You know? <laughs> oh, that's sweet. And then yeah. Lauren Bacall's another one. There, she would, she was a character. I mean, the the, the, the customers that came in there were very, just very, very funny. I I heard or read somewhere that Whoopi Goldberg sometimes. Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg came in, and she took the uh, Greek, uh, the uh, mm -hmm. the Greek uh, almond cookies with the powdered sugar on. And she was outside giving them away, having asked people to, to, to try them. <laughs> um, yeah, we've had them all there. Kirk Douglas used to come in there. Um, Tom Richard Hanks. Widmark used to come in once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. Tom Hanks and Rita, Rita Wilson. Mm -hmm. so, uh, I, I read something and I saw the, the whole memo that was written for Diane Freeland when. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Joan Crawford. No, I forgot mm -hmm. about that. Joan Crawford with Pepsi Cola. At the board meetings, they it oh, was right. instructed they had to have William Paul chicken salad at every board meeting. Wow. Diana Vreeland, she laid out the she she drew a, a map, a drawing of how the tables to be laid out, where the cutlery goes, the plate, and where the William Paul tea sandwiches go. And they must be William Paul tea sandwiches. And it had to be watercress and cucumbers. <laughs> And Jackie Onassis was another Jackie one. Jackie Onassis is another one. Yeah, she was a good. As, and her sister, Lee Radziwill, around the corner on 72nd Street. Jackie Onassis, on the one time she came to the store, very meek. She's in the back seat of one of the least expensive cars I've ever made. Because she was very, uh, very, she didn't, she didn't make a scene at all. Uh -huh. And she called my father. So he went out to see her. She had a croissant. She wanted it buttered and toasted. She already had the croissant? She had a croissant. Somebody <laughs> gave it, yeah. But she wanted butter and toast it. <laughs> wow. Oh that is unbelievable. Jeez, um, I mean, you know, the, the cast of characters there is, uh, 
So too far fetched, but we would still do that. What? We would still do that. Yeah, we, we would do it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's neighborhoody, but it's even more. We, we we're one step beyond that. What well, you know, one because we, really we, we literally we, we invite people in. You know, it's it's a very compelling store, and once you get in there, it's like well, it's like a magnet. It draws people in. I wonder if you could talk about how you built up your reputation for quality and what the relationship of the shop was to the neighborhood and also of your mom to the neighborhood. The store, it was very, very neighborhood oriented and most of the customer base was fairly local. The customer base was very extensive um, and they were really catering to the Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue clientele. And in those days, in the beginning, a lot of the, the houses on Park Alley, the apartments, they had two or three chefs, and everything was put into a pantry. So they would buy goods by the case. But, you know, as time progressed and things changed, you know, they got into fresh foods then. And um, that's, as I say, that's going along with how my mother got, you know, her, her time, because she, I mean, she was really a stickler about quality. Because everything was done with a passion and a love for, for food. And slowly but surely, they started building up a good clientele for the catering. The catering expanded to the point where, I mean, we have, we've had, we've done catering for as many as 450 people. But it's also just the neighborhood. It's just the lovely people who you're surrounded by who support you and come to you on a daily basis. They, they really are great. They, they're, the neighbors are fantastic. It's a store where you walk in, and as soon as you walk in, you feel comfortable. Okay, the story is the story is perfectly designed that way. And as a matter of fact, let me let me backtrack a minute. The staff, the guys behind the counter, are there an average, I'd say, at least fifteen to twenty years. In the kitchen, the chef and the baker are th over thirty years. So I mean, they're 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 loyal, and they know the store, they know the neighborhood, they know the clients, they know exactly what people want. So it's incredible what they turn out in that small bit of space. How how much? space do you think just the kitchen is for them to work in? Maybe 250 square feet. Wow. 250 square feet and they produce so much food. Yeah, that kitchen can function like a Swiss watch. It really, it, it just performs, it just goes as smooth as silk and it's on time. <laughs> and the other thing is that they don't, nobody's working all night. No, that, no, no. It's no, so no. well run. But um, the staff is very dedicated and very loyal and 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 I must say this I've had customers call me uh, I can't begin the number of calls I've gotten about how well how well the staff treats their customers how much they love because they know the customers they know your name what you like what you're there for even before you open your mouth they love the business and they're very dedicated Speaking of the staff, maybe Anthony, you could jump in and talk about what you sure. what you do at William Pohl. So my role is the director of operations. So to, to backtrack just a bit, I lived on 71st Street and 2nd Avenue. So I was very familiar with William Pohl. So it was almost like this destined situation to happen. I had met mom. And uh, so, you know, it was always this familiar family atmosphere and that has carried through all these years so um, when I was speaking to Dean and he said look I'm gonna go into business with Stanley on this project you have the background in retail and you've done this before 
what do you think? So we sat down, the three of us, we had a great meeting, and I think it was in about a month's time, I uh, came on board, I worked for a couple of days with the guys and said, you know, I, I see this being just a great thing. So my role is to learn from Stanley anything and everything that he could let me know about the history of the store, the clients, um, and then working with the neighborhood, which is a great part of what you know, a home retail store is. It's, it's owning your neighborhood, your clients, introducing them to new products, which is, I think, a lot of what the family side of this business is with Christina. I always remember there would always be stuff to sample, uh, and you have to try this, you have to try that. Uh, and that's a lot of what we do now. And you don't just want the same stuff that they can buy anywhere. Um, so my role is, is really just to keep us moving forward with new products, what's out there, um, making sure that we're not, uh, we're not just sitting still. We've spoken about it already a bit, but um, you know, I'm curious the ways that the menu has changed over time or tastes have changed over time. We talked about caviar shifting to salmon. People became far more health conscious. There were all kinds of diets and food fads. Yeah. Did, did you always say we're gonna stay true to who we are or did you feel that you had to, to shift gears to appeal to your clientele? No, we, we, we stayed with our premise of quality. Uh, we have requests for special foods. Uh, we have every, for the last 25 years, 27 years, these very, very elaborate gingerbread houses at Christmas time. They're handmade, they've got lights, music boxes. They're very ornate and very expensive. So we have a beautiful window we put up every Christmas. And one year, um, this gentleman and his wife, they came in uh, because of the lights and the, the activity, they thought maybe we could do a special cake for them, for his, for his son. And they called me downstairs and I, I, I said, uh, you know, we don't do sugar-free cakes, they want sugar-free. And then I was buzzed again, I said, you better come down and talk to these people because they really want the sugar-free cake. So I go downstairs and I, I see the, the couple and I take them to the back of the store and I said, it turned out to be Robert De Niro and Grace Hightower. So we talked to them and I said, look, who needs a sugar-free cake? They said, it's their son. I said, okay, so you've got 50 kids there one kid needs sugar-free, so you make the other 49 suffer. Why don't I just do the regular cake with the lights, we'll do everything you want, and then we'll do something sugar-free for your son. Great. And because we made, we, he had a passion for jet planes. So we had, the, the cake was on a, a glass sheet about three feet long, two feet wide, and it was a huge, huge cake with a landing strip and a jet plane taking off and then had a control tower with lights and a runway and runway lights it was it was, very, it was quite ornate and we took it down <laughs> down down to his, his party we did that for about four years running first was a jet plane a, a fighter jet then became a commercial jet then we got into olympics and he wanted to do soccer i said let's do the olympics <laughs> so it's, it's uh, so we you know we we've Tailored and not tailored. We, we've accommodated, we, let's put it this way, we accommodated them, but we, with a little bit of revision. See, we, we, we take, we, we look at food and the food industry and the customers and everything else. It's not a package. 
it's not a box on a shelf. Right. Okay, this is an individual personalized service. The preparation of the food is individual and personalized. Okay, the presentation is individualized and personalized. It's, it has to be treated that way. Otherwise, you know, you, you, you've, then you've gone the way of all flesh. And going back to the health side, when I came in and I started looking at the recipes, the recipes were already, you know, I don't, I don't know where she got the inspiration from between being that home cook type of atmosphere of, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but just already thinking ahead like, well, if we're going to, you know, because we do a lot of shipping, uh, a tremendous amount of shipping all over the country. Um, and you have to think about it. A lot of our clients who live here travel a lot and they want to take our food with them. Sometimes they'll pack it for travel to go out east, so if they're traveling, but they want to send it to their kids, their grandkids, they want to take with them on the plane, or they're going to take it to wherever they're going to be, or they're, they're staying someplace. We found out a lot with the pandemic when people were saying, can, can they get the product shipped? So all our stuff is made as far as the meals, the, uh, the cocktail items, uh, hors d'oeuvres, and our soups and prepared meals, like I said, can be made and then they're flash frozen immediately and then they're stored. So they have a very good shelf life and then the instructions are there how to quickly, uh, so they get the same qualities that they were just made. Is there anything that you were sad to see go that just wasn't in demand anymore? Yes, actually there was, yeah, there was one item, the tart, the tart Trevesian. Oh yeah, it's... I'd gone to St. Bart's once uh, with my wife and we went to a hotel for dinner and I had dessert there. I said, this, this is like a cheesecake. He said, no, it's not cheesecake. I said, what is it? It's a special cake they have. I said, it was phenomenal. I said, so please, I said, I've got to talk to the, the owner or the manager. And he came over and I chit-chatted with him. I told him, you know, why I was there and, and about the cake, it was a phenomenal cake. It turns out he is imports him from France. His brother-in-law has Four bakeries. He makes his tart. It's it, actually it's it's a brioche dough with a cream filling, and then it's got um, sugar crystals on the top, and he bakes it. So I, you know, I asked him if I, he put me in touch with his brother-in-law, which he did, and I spent eighteen months developing the packaging. I went to visit his uh, brother-in-law in uh, Paris. We went to see them baking and whatnot, and it was. Uh, we started importing it, it was great. It was a phenomenal thing, but it was very, very expensive because I had to bring them in frozen. And you know, I couldn't, I couldn't bring in 10, 20 at a time. I mean, I had, I had to literally do them in, you know, like lots of a thousand. And um, you know, that, that just kind of like petered out. Because uh, it, it was very expensive, because I had to bring it in by, by air, and you could bring it in by boat. So I mean, the cost was, was a little prohibitive. And I think also the neighborhood changes too over time. Yeah. The different the different generations come in. I mean, we had seen a big switch in the with the real estate the last couple of years. And so we have some new people coming in. Um, they'll go on the website, they'll call us, they'll get to know us that way. Uh, sometimes they come to the store, they reintroduce themselves, we spoke on the phone. They don't know what William Paul is. They'll say, Oh, it's a it's a sandwich shop that makes these very nice, dainty sandwiches. Uh, well, that's part of us, and then they'll we'll build that rapport, and that's well, probably the last six months we've seen the biggest in, influence yeah. of that way starting to grow, uh, now, which has been nice. Speaking of the sandwiches, uh, Dan, we actually have customers that order tea sandwiches to be shipped 
There's no. One customer gets, I swear to God, overnight <laughs> to Southampton. Yep. We shipped uh, tea sandwiches to San Francisco. I'm, I'm not kidding. And to, uh, to Palm Beach. So how about the fact that it goes back so many generations, so now you're seeing third and fourth generation, and is the younger generation frequenting William Pole the way their parents and grandparents did? Yes and no. They are frequenting, but not, they're not buying the caviar and the foie gras the way, to that extent, because it's, it's a different, different world. I mean, obviously the pricing is much higher, you know, and the, the, the tastes are different. But they have an appreciation for oh, for finer foods, yeah, and who William Pole is and right. what you represent in the neighborhood. It's uh, it's incredible. I mean, that name is that's a it's a very very powerful name in, in food. And you you see it continuing on with oh, the young definitely, people. Oh, definitely, definitely. No concerns yeah. there. Yeah, without mentioning names, it was you know one client came in early on when they first started over a year ago and back at the store and she. One woman came in with her daughter and said, "You know, now, you know, when, when you're with your friends, you come here and you could get these hors d'oeuvres, and and uh, you could have your friends open do that, and you could segue to this and chips. Almost like, like, let me show you what to do and how to cook for your friends if you're going to entertain a little impromptu. And you get the cheeses. If you don't have time, they can do the platters for you. And and if you want to send a gift basket, and it was I was I was taken back by that that it was to see that in action." You know, the way I would do with my own kids of, hey, here's how you put gas in the car. <laughs> you know, but here's what you do in the neighborhood. And it was very nice to see. And then there was uh, another family. Uh, it was the, it was two cousins and one of the sisters. And said, oh, remember Grandma used to have this on the hell? Yeah. And, and so that you do see them when they're back in the neighborhood doing that. So, you know, they, they know where to go. The ones who've been in, you know, who've been around the, the William Pohl family and the William Pohl store for all those generations too. And, I, and I'm seeing that more and more as, as I spend the time there. Can we speak about the building and owning the building and how I've spoken to so many business owners and those that have been able to survive COVID, so many are have said to me, it's because they owned the building or a part of it. Some people just own the retail space downstairs, but they don't necessarily own what's above them. Um, but the history of you moving to 75th and Lex and um, purchasing of the building. Okay, we purchased um, the building in 1974, 75, and um, it was a, probably the smartest move we ever made, yeah, definitely. And that allowed us to, because we were open during the entire pandemic, we never closed a day, except for Sundays before we always closed. Um, and we were very, very busy. I mean, we, if, and if somebody didn't feel well, believe me, I said, stay home, don't, don't, don't come in. You know, we don't even take a chance. But um, we, we stay open entirely. And we, we were feeding um, hospitals. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm feeding, like, uh, just like when 9-11 occurred. Um, Jim and I got in, very heavily involved there because we fed the, um, the police academy downtown. Okay, and then Jim and I got involved with distribution centers for collecting um, the goods that they need. The, the, they believe it or not, they needed boots. The heavy duty, they couldn't get enough heavy duty boots. So we actually found a place on, uh, I found a place on Midtown and it, they ordered them for us. And it, we were getting them like every Sunday for about two months. And then we'd take them downtown 
And then one, one, one day, Jim got to chatting with the fireman down there, and he said, well, what, else, what do you need? Cuban cigars. I said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I said, Jimmy, how do you, don't worry, don't worry, I'll get them, I'll get them. <laughs> he got them, Cuban cigars, and they went down there. <laughs> so we, you know, that was, uh, that was a very sad day, you know, sad occasion, obviously, but uh, we were doing everything we can. On 9-11 itself, that our store was one of the, that was probably one of the busiest days we ever had. <clears throat> I called Jimmy up uh, in the morning. I said, be prepared, we'll have to get the guys out by 10, 30, 11 o'clock so I can get home because they're, they're closing the subways. We were there until 8 o'clock at night. We never made so much chicken dishes, but yeah, chicken milanese, I think they made like a, over 150 dishes. For like comfort dishes that people Yeah, people, were... they, they, nobody, wanted, nobody would leave, they, although it kept coming in. Everyone just kept coming in because they wanted a neighborhood place where they, they felt at, at ease, they felt comfortable, and they could talk there. Yeah. And it was, that was a horrible day for everybody, let's face it. And, um, you know, so we said, look, we're just going to accommodate you any way we can, which is what we did. My next question is about, for, for both of you, about um, where you see the future of the business, you know, talking about the next hundred years. What would you, what would you ideally like to see happen for William Pohl? I'll be in that seat. Someone will be in this seat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talking about the next hundred years. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to be in that seat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I said it. Well, I'm going to retire before that, so yeah, yeah, so <laughs> this seat will be vacant. <laughs> In my next life, I said, I, I want to work at William Pohl. See, even when we, when we talk about, you know, opening up branch stores in Palm Beach and, and mm -hmm. Southampton, it'll be a neighborhood store. We have no intention of, of competing like a box store. We're not a box store. We don't want to be a box store. Because we're not going to be in Amazon, okay? We don't, we don't want people coming in looking, just going to make, everything is mechanical and you're in and out. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got to be a fun place. The store's got to be a fun place for some for a customer to shop. It's got to be interesting. It's got to be worth their while. And because you, you know, otherwise, you know, you you lose them. You can lose them very quickly. What do you think that might look like to make yourself a neighborhood staple in a new place? Like, what what are the steps of of connecting with the neighborhood? Well, you have to be a day. You have to find people who are from there. Right. I was just going to say yeah. they're their New York clientele right. going so to that, these. That, that's why it's easy, right? Yeah. Hampton or, or Palm Beach. Those are our clients already. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. I mean, we're we're we've been we've been asked a number of times. I it's countless numbers of times. You know about why don't we why don't we go out to Southampton or Palm Beach? You know, we've got we're shipping there constantly. It's it's really an ongoing. It, it's every, literally every day where we're shipping. What do you think your mother and father would say about this concept? As long as we maintain the quality and the integrity and it was still a neighborhood store, fine. If we went to a mechanical big store, box store, no. But we, we have no intention of doing that. So you're all in favor of this? Oh yeah, because again, as I say, it's, it's, it's let's put it this way, whatever it is, it's gonna be totally controllable. It's not gonna be some, you know, mechanical device up somewhere, you know, operated remotely. No. It's the family name. And you cannot sell the family name. I mean, people have asked about that before, and I said, no, I will not sell. Because it's, it's, it's a family name. And you cannot afford, you can't afford 
I'm telling you, point blank. There was not enough money to buy the family name. Well said. Great place to end. I think we got everything, unless yeah. you can think of anything else. I feel good. Yes. How do you feel about it? This was wonderful. It was great. I said we cut down to three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and check out our website, sideways.nyc where you can find many, many more stories of New York's incredible small businesses. And we hope you'll go back and discover still more through other episodes of this podcast. Find your favorites and let us know what you think by reaching out to us or leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts. We look forward to hearing from you.